3: Last summer, I sat down with Oklahoma's Poet Laureate of the Kitchen, John Bennett, to record a podcast interview. When I asked him to introduce himself, here's what he said.
0: I don't know, but let me just quote Jim Beard that uh, he wrote in my uh, 1962 Cordon Bleu annual from the Culinary Institute. (laughs) This was some years later. He said, it's been a long, hard road as not it, chef? (laughs) So, that sort of sums it up.
3: (laughs) Last week, we bid bon voyage to the legendary chef, who died at the age of 77. Chef meant a whole lot to a whole lot of people here in Oklahoma City. That's because he practically founded the culinary arts here. So today, we'll share some stories about our good friend, raise a glass to toast him, and even hear more from the man himself. Today on Community Table, we're remembering John Bennett, Oklahoma's first culinary artist.
1: For us to have a source of, of of national, international, you know, things that go on, he was there. He was there with James Beard and Julia Childs, and you know, to have that little, yeah, Jacques Pepin. I yeah. mean, those to be that have that little nugget here uh, was it was fantastic, you know. And and he liked to dole it out, and yeah. he, and yeah. and, you have and to control it. And, it's
3: okay but, that, right? Yeah,
1: but the, the but I mean, the thing you would have to admire the most is his. Just passion for consuming and uh, eating, and 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 the quality of history of food, and uh, I mean, just to sit and see what he's reading that 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 day might be a you know a fifty-year-old cookbook about you know salads, and it's just it's amazing that what what a repertoire he had. That was Chef
3: Kurt Fleischfresser talking about his mentor and longtime friend. Kurt joined me last week to share JB's stories along with fellow chefs Brad Johnson of Hal Smith Restaurant Group and Russ Johnson of Ludovine, David Egan of Cattleman's, Michelle Boutillon of La Baguette Bistro, Rick Nafee of Revolution Wholesale, and Blake Kramer, who worked with JB for 35 years in various capacities. When we sat down for about an hour, Brad Johnson nailed it when he said this.
4: Well, there's not many. There's not many people that you can call culinary icons in Oklahoma. Right. I mean, there yeah. right. there are in New York. There are in right. California. That's right. there's, But the just a culinary icon. That's right. Just somebody who really understood that Oklahoma is Oklahoma. Yeah, you're right. He really had that understanding, and he wanted everybody who came through here to know about. What we do, how we do it, what's going on about the state—he's really proud of Oklahoma.
3: JB worked hard to gain the kind of status mentioned and to make the connections he made. Let him tell you about it and what drove him.
0: Well, I was the—I uh, was the ultimate uh, opportunist. <laughs> what do you mean, was? i i honest to goodness i i had a vision of what i wanted and when i saw what i envisioned uh, what i saw they had yes i wanted it and i wanted to figure out how to get it (laughs) and so i made my way from the from the uh Stacks at the Bazell Library at uh, University of Oklahoma, to the Culinary Institute, yeah. to Europe, to Julia Child's kitchen, to James Beard's uh, giving me uh, getting me the job with Frank mm-hmm. Hightower. Yep. I mean, it's all sort of just segued naturally, you know.
3: Chef was a member of the last graduating class from the Culinary Institute of America before it moved from New Haven, Connecticut to Hyde Park, New York. As he mentioned, he became great friends with James Beard and Julia Child. Here's how it happened.
0: Okay, I was a student at the Culinary Institute in the first year, junior and along with my buddy uh, Robert Dixon we became buddies then and uh a- and I got a job at the Mermaid Tavern which was on the Merritt Parkway about 20 miles from uh the uh or 25 miles from from the culinary institute
3: and and where and now keep where where was all this happening at this time
0: Connecticut Connecticut yes. uh, uh it was uh Uh, Stratford on the Merritt and it was across the street from the Sikorsky helicopter uh it was the most fascinating place that that, that was your customer uh, with a helicopter yeah yeah yeah. we'd take a break out there i didn't smoke but we'd take a break out there and i'd watch the helicopters the experimental helicopters and (laughs) so i thought that really is cool but i'm not interested in that uh but i worked at the at, at the mermaid tavern as the entremontier okay what's that well the entremontier was the vegetable cook and, and and Restaurant Associates was the was the, really the the company that ran uh, the Mermaid Tavern along with the Four Seasons, gotcha. the Forum of the Twelve Seasons, all the all the, the management. Yeah, it was yeah. right in the middle of all that uh, all those restaurants that were theme restaurants and right. high end restaurants and that sort of thing, and and so. Uh, So I uh, had a Flex Seal steam cooker. It looked like an autoclave, but I could cook vegetables from raw to completely cooked in three minutes. And on a busy night, I would do that. And and the pan would hold about maybe three or four orders, and and I had four holes in there that I would work. And uh, Jim Beard would be at the end of the counter, along with Albert Stockley, who was the chef, executive chef of the restaurant, of uh, 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 Restaurant Associates. And Baird was sort of uh, overviewing all the new waiters, and uh, and Albert Stockley was uh, uh, getting into the Chivas Regal Scotch. <laughs> the executive chef of the restaurant was up with the Pantry girl upstairs, and and the butcher was ha- ha- hassling uh, the um, the cashier. So so it was it was. And you were making the vegetables, and I was doing the vegetables. <laughs> and I was doing it. I was doing a damn good job of it too. And and Beard g- sort of watched me. And since uh, Werner, the chef, wasn't down there, it was a matter of. Of we were kind of, you know, flying, you know, the way uh, I wanted it to go. Right. And so uh, I got bold, and one day, and I said, uh, at that time it was Mister Beard. I said, Mister Beard, uh, would you be interested in coming to give a talk to our to our junior class? Oh, yes. Well, I mean, that appealed to him immensely, you know, all these kids and boys particularly. <laughs> and and so he said, when do you want me to come? I said, you pick the date. So he picked April 28, 1962 and wrote about it later. And so uh, we went down. I, I didn't have a car there, but we uh, uh Con somebody into taking Bob Dixon and myself down in a little compact car, and we got down to the station, New Haven Railroad Station, and here comes Jim Beard at his most zoftic. I mean, he, I, I don't know how much he weighed, but he was this enormous man, you know, and his stomach was protruding. I mean, he was just, he was just a big man. Followed by a big woman <laughs> and a little man, and and he had asked me maybe I bring somebody. Of course, what am I going to say? Yes, of course. Sure. But I but in order to make this all happen, I had to get Mister uh, Dean Fairbrook's approval. So I went to Dean Fairbrook and I said, Dean Fairbrook. James Beard would would be interested in coming to the Culinary Institute and talking to our class, and he didn't have a clue who he was. Mm-hmm. He was sort of the, you know, the accounting accountant sure. sort of head, had no culinary skills whatsoever, and so he said, "Well, I don't know how to get in touch with him." I do, so <laughs> I made all the arrangements. Here they come, and he said, uh, I'd like you to meet, uh, uh," oh, and uh, Beard had told me about the day before, two days before, he said, now the people that I'm bringing, uh, she has just written a book that is going to change this whole way we do cooking. And and, so uh, she gets comes up there and here comes paul child behind her and paul never did like us very much he he was not interested in what we did or anything but he adored her yes so of course i glommed onto her and (laughs) and uh uh, so we would go you know we would just visit and so i had him uh, he brought his camera and they took pictures of everything and I took her for a tour of the thing and we got ready to go back to uh, New Haven in about an hour and I said to Bob Dixon, I said, go get your suit on. I said, we've got to, uh, we're going to New York. He said, what? So anyway, gets his suit on I go down to my little room and I get my suit on and we go down to the station and a beard said, "Oh, that was a wonderful experience. We really enjoyed it." I said, "We're going to New York for dinner tonight." Again, I got that double look from Dixon, and <laughs> and so, and so we got on the train, and we and of course Paul was suspicious. You know, he knew damn well we weren't going to go to dinner. So we we went down. It took about an hour and a half. Well, by the time we got down there, Julia said, if you boys are ever in Cambridge, please look us up, and we'll cook together. I said, Julia, we're going to be there in uh, three weeks. We're going to Lockover's for dinner. Well, Dixon gave me another one of those looks, and Lockover was the restaurant, the really fine restaurant in the early, uh, in the sixties and so forth. I mean, it was uh, he just could not believe it. So we got down there. Sure enough, three weeks later, we were in her kitchen cooking away, <laughs> and that began our friendship. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, and and I have a uh, hundred and fifty pieces of correspondence between Julia and myself That's right. about those days. Yeah.
3: Chef loved telling that story. But as the time passed, some people began to wonder if it was actually true. Now and then confirmation was made. Michel Boutillon recollects.
5: And you always talk about Julia and Charlie, always talk about this story, and uh, I just met him. I didn't know who he was, and I said well, he's a pretty impressive guy. But that year, I went to Washington D.C. with my brother Alan, and we did met. We have lunch with Julia Child through a common friend, and he said, "Oh, I thought you guys came from France." He said, "No, we're from Oklahoma City." And she said, "Oh, John Bennett State. That is a very <laughs> close friend." So I thought, "Oh my gosh, he was not <laughs> BS me. He really is friend with them and Jack Pepper and all those guys."
3: Almost 20 years later, Brad Johnson got a similar confirmation while at the CIA.
4: I lived in New York City a while and went up to culinary school, and I had to have a job because I had kids. So uh, my first weekend there, they said, well, you're a server. Uh, You've got service experience. We need uh, some help and uh, we have this banquet going on tonight, and we're going to put you on this table. And uh, the first person that was right there was, I dropped uh, water uh, in front, and I looked, and I said, I've seen that woman before. <laughs> and it was when they were inducting Julia Child in the Culinary Hall of Fame at the CIA. I was happened to be her server, and I got her autograph. I got all the stuff. I got everything. When I got back... When I eventually came back to Oklahoma and I showed that to John Bennett. It was two seconds. He was on the phone. He's like, Do You know, this guy is just and that's, that's kind of what he was. And it was yeah. just it's culinary icon. There's not, there won't be another one like it. He was here for so long, knew so many people, understood food. And that's what that's what I really respected the man about is that he understood food.
3: J.B., as it turned out, wasn't Beard's only friend in Oklahoma. Frank Hightower had a passion for world cuisine and the means to set up cooking classes with the legendary gourmand. When Hightower decided to convert the tea room in the basement of his four-story Hightower building in downtown Oklahoma City into a full-scale French restaurant, he hired Beard to consult. That led to J.B. becoming the seller restaurant's first chef and then later its director.
0: Well, we took reservations. They were taken upstairs, eighth floor. They bring the reservations down, handwritten, and we uh they would say whether they were birthday, anniversary, you know, so forth so, and so because
3: on. this was that kind of a place. This was an oh, occasion. Oh yeah, it was a special yeah. occasion.
0: A lot of people came Sure, you had regulars. Regulars. But 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 yeah. At lunch one time I had a two ladies that were sisters and i said uh mrs so-and-so i said would you like another martini don't ever ask me if i want another martini or another drink just bring me one (laughs) i had the occasion to tell her son that not long ago (laughs) which was so good i wrung the best out of that story well, our our dinner menu—you've seen it—and and, and uh, we had some really nice things on there. We had a lot of, uh, of course, we had the standard, uh, the standard shrimp cocktail and snails, and before snails were popular. And, and
3: also, don't forget—you know—take us. Don't forget to mention the complicated, the challenges. You've mentioned to me before how difficult it was just to get mushrooms.
0: in Oh, those yeah. Days. Well, when I came in nineteen sixty four, there wasn't a there wasn't a mushroom, fresh mushroom to be had. Right. Now you can go <laughs> ten minutes and have twenty five different kinds sure. from myitakis to <laughs>
3: yeah. you know grown grown just in the next county. Yeah, or something like I that. mean yeah. it's
0: just it's just amazing. So I sourced from uh, Dallas. I sourced this mushroom purveyor, only I, mean, I don't think he really was a mushroom purveyor. He had a restaurant called Monsieur Fromage. Ah, His name was Woody Johnston, Johnston, and he would get us mushrooms. And they were the old forerunner of the portobello mushroom, mm-hmm. as big as a, a uh, saucer. For, for a cup of coffee mm-hmm. as big as a saucer <laughs> and we would take the gills out and we would do this to them and do that to them and we tried different things it was Mr. Itero's one of his favorite things you know and and so finally we came up with this pork this mushroom that covered almost the full plate that we had put uh, lump crab meat mm-hmm. uh Toasted breadcrumbs, Parmesan cheese, a cream sauce, rich, as rich could be, and then bake it in the oven. And that was very popular, Mr. I, one of his yeah, one favorite, his favorite dishes. So that was on the menu. And then uh, we had a, the fillet of beef lucius baby, and we had a strip sirloin. We had rack of lamb. We had a veal scallopini. Well, and you mentioned you had a dessert cart.
3: Oh, you know, the I mean, dessert
0: cart was the was the flagship. Yeah,
3: <laughs> that's something that I'm sure the diners, what they were was wheeled out in front of them was completely. We like, had from a, a trifle, different-
0: chantilly on there. We had the chocolate mousse. We had snow eggs or oof a la neige, custard with these poached egg white meringues on it with fresh uh, berries on it we had a uh oh we had a chocolate cake we had a three layer chocolate cake and a four layer coconut cake (laughs) mama bennett's coconut cake yes uh and it seemed like we had something else maybe some fruit for those that didn't you know
3: yeah sure sure
0: Uh, i maybe poached pears and something or another i can't remember we did have a we did have a pear of bell helene which was pistachio ice cream. Now you try mm. to get pistachio ice cream in 1965. <laughs> but it was but we had a poached pear that we set on top of this pistachio ice cream, covered it with chocolate sauce and chopped pistachios. Ooh. I was hugely successful. I want some of that right now. I've got a picture of that You can have the fried chicken. I'll take that. Yeah. Boy, was it good.
3: Fellow CIA alum Brad Johnson, whom we heard from earlier, describes his excitement over meeting another alum in Oklahoma City. While their first meeting caught him off guard, Johnson describes how it was the start of a friendship that led to frank conversations about food and career.
4: Yeah, I uh, Blake Blake Kramer and I were uh, doing a, a CIA a sign, kind of a CIA event and a Culinary Institute of America event, and he goes, "Oh, you got to meet this guy. There's 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 this guy," and he said, "Just call him and he'll tell you where to meet him." And I called uh, Chef Bennett, and he said, "Yeah, just come by my apartment, come by my place, and uh, uh, we'll get together and we'll talk CIA. We'll talk about when you went, when I went, the whole deal, and." Uh it's kind of unusual to show up at the apartment uh and the guy that enters the door is in a brilliant pink gorgeous <laughs> kimono with the exact matching uh, shoes, wooden <laughs> shoes on and uh, invites you in and like everybody, I've told the story before like everybody says, I wasn't sure if I was being invited into the kimono or <laughs> into the apartment <laughs> uh, but hospitality hospitality baby yeah. <laughs> And uh, when he invited, uh, just have a seat on the couch, uh, I was not I was not having a seat on the couch uh, I'd love to stand up the whole time, but uh for somebody who came from the original Culinary Institute of America in New Haven, Connecticut, the last graduating class, to really be able to talk to somebody that had just finished the CIA in 1995, I met him in, uh, it was literally right after Red Rock opened right? in 1999, mm-hmm. and when Blake was still working for uh, another great friend of ours, uh, Bradley Nafee, mm-hmm. and uh, we were doing some kind of event and they just wanted to get him and I together. And every since then, it's been a phone call, a letter, a, uh, a, Hey, how you doing? And then every restaurant that we've ever opened up at Al Smith, one of the very first people that I get a phone call from is Chef Bennett wanting to know, uh, how do you do this? Why did you do that? what does this taste like what are you going to do here why did you do it that way and it was and and then it was just outright you know that really didn't taste very good uh uh he there was no problem with him giving his opinion on really what we did and then the latest thing we did uh neighborhood jam i mean we were open uh less than 10 days and uh chef bennett is telling me the best biscuits i've had in a long time (laughs) A uh, biscuit we've had in a long time, and really the last two or three months has—it's uh, felt like it's been a, uh, a really a re- reliving of what he was all about. He said, "He said I just don't feel good. He said I'm just tired. He said it feels like those eighty-hour work weeks all over again, where you just don't have any energy on Sunday. You've got to do brunch, and things are just." catching up with he says that's how I feel and uh it was really interesting for me to talk to him he said you're 55 years old uh you need to start thinking about whether you're at the beginning of the end or the uh, end of the beginning uh he was really started some of that kind of life advice that hey what are you going to do for the next 10 years what are you going to do for the next 15 years what are you going to do for the next 20 years he said, don't get in the situation that I'm in now. And uh, to me, that was John Bennett. Yeah. Yeah, he looked out uh, for people. He wanted, he wanted me to know that you're on top of the world right now working for the people that you work for. Uh, that can go away shortly. Uh, you, you really need to be prepared for what's going on for the next 20 years. Uh, and he didn't come right out and say that, but I could feel it in every – when he asked me how many times do you cook with your son – how many times do you sit down and have dinner with your kids? I mean, he's asking the things that I should be asking myself. So,
3: JB's health had been in decline since November of 2016, but that never affected his passion for food and the culinary arts. Our last conversation was two days before he passed away, and the subject was about going to eat at two brand new restaurants. Gun. And free to Southwest because he wanted to see for himself if they were doing things right. He loved reminding people the importance of his approval. Kurt Fleischfresser remembers how J.B. taught him that lesson.
1: The first time I met John was in 1987, and I was at the Skirvin Plaza at the Park Avenue Room, and we were, I was getting a little buzz, <laughs> and he knew I was getting a little buzz. You know a little people talking and stuff mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. when i met him everybody goes oh my you know you're gonna meet john bennett you're gonna meet john bennett you know and everybody they introduced me and they go here here's here's chef john bennett i go hey john how's it going and he goes john <laughs> i go yeah <laughs> i go he, you know kind of like this you know and he's kind of cool to me you know? yeah. I was like, oh, that's, that's good that's all right and we we actually it was the first uh before Chef's Feast, it was Taste of the Nation. Was, ah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. was uh, chair on the sh- uh, Taste of the Nation, and Michelle was a uh, uh, food and beverage at the place, and we did that, and he was there. So I meet him again, you know, and I go, hey, John, how's it going? He goes, eh, what's your name? <laughs> I go, uh, my name's Kurt. I'm, you met me at Skirvan three weeks ago, you know, and I meet him again. Hey, John, how's it going? Uh, I don't remember your name. And and and, uh, and uh, uh, I I never did call him Chef and I always called him John. And then finally after about four times I said, Listen, you know, you've met me several times. <laughs> you can't tell me you don't remember my name. He goes, Is it Prick? <laughs> and I go, No, it's Kurt, clear we close. He <laughs> was right, it was close. And if you know John, that's exactly what he said. Yeah, that's
3: exactly right. The seller was born from a grand tradition of culinary artistry born in France. That triggered fate to bind J.B. to Chef Russ Johnson of Ludovine, who was a culinary classicist and Francophile. Johnson met J.B. shortly after he returned to Oklahoma City after nine years in Colorado.
2: I had, you know, I had heard his name, wasn't real familiar with him. My, my mom actually had, had, uh, you know knew him a little bit mm-hmm. and I think and I think somewhat recently had mm-hmm. sort of run into him at some parties and was, was always telling me that I needed to, to meet him and, and get to know him and um, just sort of you know never did happen and uh, until I was doing uh, table one uh, before we opened Ludovine and and you, the Wednesday lunch group came in and uh, when, which at the time he was he was a part of and mm-hmm. so um, that was the first time I met him um, got to visit with him just you know a little bit and introduce myself and um and then I just see him kicking around town once in a while. You know, I remember seeing him at Crescent Market a couple of times. You know, <laughs> pushing his cart around in his like red patent crocodile loafers. And yeah, you know, I was like, man, this guy, this guy's a trip. And uh, you know,
3: only outdone by whatever socks I'm sure he was wearing. Ex- yeah, yeah, exactly.
2: <laughs> and uh, you know, same thing. I'd sort of stop him and say hello, and then, uh, and then once we opened Ludovine um, Wednesday lunch group came in a- a- again, uh, and and he was there, and that that's when we sort of really got a chance to kind of kind of hang out and sit down and visit and um, I think we did a big sort of blowout family style lunch that time. I think we did a porchetta like on the bone and uh, I don't even remember what all else but I think it was pretty French and then uh, sort of retired to the bar a- after lunch and um, started drinking a bunch of chartreuse. We had, you know, I think yellow and green and VEP and and all that and uh, just, you know, talked for a while and, and just became pre- pretty fast friends and um, he did my he cooked my thirtieth uh, birthday dinner uh, at his house, which I think was—I think that was the first time I went over went over to his house, and. Um I don't remember kimono, but definitely a a big, 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 again, big blowout. You know, I think it was probably seven or ten courses, all pretty elaborate stuff. Whatever it started
3: Uh, out as, it was two or three more than that.
2: Right, right. You know, of course, very elaborate table setting, Mm -hmm. you know, all the china and silver and crystal that you can cram on the table.
3: Yeah, I don't think I've ever met a chef that paid that much attention to, like, the table.
2: And and, and all the specific implements. You know, if there's a specific knife or spoon or fork or – rest or holder or or container or whatever for something he had it and it would be on the table if it was if it was part of the meal Uh, and he did the uh the the cafe bruleau diabolique at the end and you know sort of all that yes and um and you know we would just as as everyone here here did just would have hours of fun just at his house just yeah reading through old cookbooks and um you know lots of phone calls about you know, asking about recipes or uh, certain books or just, you know, whatever. Uh, usually accompanied by lots of wine or cocktails <laughs> or, both, or both. Usually yes. both. Some, deep into some the Some combination night. of those, yeah, deep into the night. So. Yeah.
3: Chef loved wine and wine culture. He traveled to France many times over the years. Longtime friend and colleague Blake Kramer tells this story. Tell us, give people All right, no, w- how I'm gonna do you go back JB?
6: to the 60s then, yes because i just got a note from greg nafe saying that he remembers as a child um his dad bob and john going over to bordeaux oh wow and buying a ton of first growths
3: oh yeah well when, um, when yeah and he that had was that. central
6: liquor at the time yes and no one knew what the hell they were and they ended up drinking him. So yes, uh, you know, yeah. He,
3: um, he, there was a lot of that that went on. Uh, there
6: was. A, he was a a star <laughs> in, in this community as far as culinary goes, and as far as wine goes, and as far as <laughs> yep. You know, eating and drinking and imbibing. Oh yeah, very well.
3: Rick Nafy, co-owner of Revolution Wholesale, was often the chief supplier of those wines. About 20 years ago, Blake
7: Kramer called me and said, we're going to do a wine dinner at Chef Bennett's house. And do you have anybody coming in town around this time? And I brought in a guy that I hadn't even met in person yet, mm-hmm. Michael Keenan. <laughs> so we go over to JB's house and Michael Keenan is there. and We've got these great new wines that we've never had in the state of Oklahoma. And we've got about 40 people. And it's this incredible dinner he did it with chip sears uh-huh. so i'm watching these two guys in the kitchen and all of these chefs have talked about his mentoring and i'm watching this unfold you know he's telling chip and and jb's kind of standing back mm-hmm. but he's directing traffic of course in the kitchen the whole time you know some of them were chips recipes mm-hmm. and jb was telling him how to do it. <laughs> <laughs> so i'm watching that and and during yeah exactly yeah and during this dinner julia child calls the house so we're all sitting there and he's on the phone with julia child which was incredible we thought that was pretty cool and then some of the artifacts that russ was just talking about we go back in one of the rooms and there is 180 domes from all of these restaurants. <laughs> you know, it's from uh, the Waldorf or wherever. There's just domes everywhere. So I was kind of blown it's away by that. Off the
6: railroad and um, yeah, hotel. Yep. Right.
7: Yep, No yep. doubt. So <clears> – <throat> and then, you know, one of my memories is Chef would come over to the warehouse, and he would come with all of these guys that are sitting in this room, and I'd go out in the warehouse, and I'd try to pull the best stuff I had. Mm-hmm. And Chef was all about <laughs> – it had to be great he wanted the best of everything that's right and i would come in with a what i thought was an incredible bottle some parker rating 98 and he'd look at me ricky where's the good stuff (laughs) so finally one time i go out in the warehouse and i get an 82 mouton that had been gifted and he takes a sip of it and he's like i know this is okay but where is the good stuff (laughs) and i said chef that's as good as i got so
3: Nafee, like many in the studio that day, had travel stories about JB, who relished the chance to introduce his favorite destinations to friends and later treat them with gifts.
7: We traveled with Chef and several other people to New York one time and we went to the 21 Club and I was amazed by the 21 Club and yeah. I, I expressed that to him. What an incredible place it was, just how you get into it. And, yeah, yeah. And
1: Actually, the, the, the basement with the two-ton door mm-hmm. in With the wine the
4: cellar that that the, goes the, up, uh, yeah the, 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 the hanger. yeah the, the, the hanger basically yeah yeah, yeah
7: right right mm-hmm. right yeah.
3: nothing has changed
1: yeah
7: so so we go down there and I'm like totally amazed by this place and i've expressed that to him over the years so every once in a while he would just call me and say i have something for you he'd have a scarf for my wife from the 21 club or a coin for me from the 21 club or i've got several (laughs) things uh, just a glass stemware or something so i've got several things in my wine room from the 21 club he was really incredibly generous you know one of the guys i think russ mentioned cafe Brulot
4: generous with other people's stuff. oh yeah, yeah. well <laughs> well
7: I, I i don't know where it came from but he, he was willing to he was willing well, uh, to share uh, it with me that was brad
1: that was Brad's scars. Yeah.
3: generosity like, oh, is um, generosity yeah, yeah. <laughs>
7: russ russ mentioned cafe Brulot. i have one of his cafe Brulot sets
3: Kurt Fleitresser was on that trip to New York, which was in part so JB could help with the 90th birthday party for renowned American artist Leroy Neiman, a friend of JB's dating back to a trip to France in the
1: 1960s. Kurt recalled JB's knack for gift-giving. He gets me, he said, we kind of called away from the group, he says, I gotta, I gotta get a, a, a birthday present for, I gotta get a gift for uh, Leroy Neiman. And I'm like, okay. I said, where do you want to go? He goes, uh, let's go to Whole Foods. Oh, I, I go, you're going to get a Whole Foods gift for Leroy Neiman. That's pretty cool. Okay, I'm, I'm <laughs> with you. And they, which they were good friends. Sure. So we go in there. We're looking around. I'm, I don't know what he's going to get. And he sees some ostrich eggs. And he goes, I'm going to get an ostrich egg. And I go, okay, you're going to get an ostrich egg for Leroy Neiman. That's cool and everything else. I'm thinking, this is the oddest freaking gift to give a 90-year-old man. But that's Okay. So he gets it. We go in there, you know. He, I I wind up carrying it. And we go in there, and we, we we get we get his apartment for the afternoon, which is like a, an. I mean, he'd let us walk everywhere. There were so many cool things. I mean, the floor. I took pictures of the floor. It was my my screensaver forever from the splattered paint from Lee Neiman's colorful things <laughs> he does, and you know things. Uh, f- so many gifts from all these people, and that when he gave that egg. To Leroy Neiman, you thought he would given him a diamond <laughs> that was huge. He he glowed. He go, oh my god, I'm gonna drain this. I'm gonna paint it. I'm gonna own it. This is gonna be mine. I'm not gonna sell it. And I mean, it was just like I, I go, John understands people. Yeah. and I, I you know he, yeah. everybody he understands. Oh, yeah. he understands what you want. Oh yeah, he's and a he's great gonna get it for gift you. giver. JB, yeah, he's a great gift he, giver. He, he I was, was a that, terrible money manager. No, terrible. no, no, yeah, yeah, <laughs> terrible. Nobody's going to argue that. Yeah, but he was a great gift giver, and that's I mean, why he really was. Because really
3: was. I remember, I, I still have this beautiful tortilla press, wooden yeah. tortilla press that he bought for me. At, at some point, when they sold off some land or some oil rights or whatever, you know, whatever it was, and he had a little stash of cash there for a little while. And he was doing it, wasn't just me. He was by, I, I, I could see, oh, I got that for so and so, and I'm going to mail that to so and so, mailing that to Jock Pepin, mailing that to all of his oh, yeah, friends yeah, yeah. around the country. And then, of course, I, you know, he just he couldn't
1: resist. I think I got a toaster oven.
2: <laughs> Russ Johnson did some traveling with JB as well. Traveling with JB uh, was, was fun. It was, uh, you know, it was. It could be, you know, especially later in life when he didn't get around so well, it could be uh, well, it was sort of an ordeal. Well, sure. It was nice, uh, nice at the airport. You know, you got uh, to the front of security <laughs> to accompany this poor old guy who's in a wheelchair through security. And,
6: <laughs> and uh, you know, I'll tell you, he was very well taken care of wherever he traveled. So you know that from the Broadmoor and from the Twenty One Club and New Haven and absolutely, and all that. yeah. <laughs> um,
2: so. Yeah, my wife Whitney and I accompanied him on a couple trips once uh, once to New Haven. Uh, we were actually visiting some friends in D.C. and then accompanied him from there down to New Haven where we stayed a couple nights and um, had dinner with Jacques Pepin at the, at the uh, Union League Cafe there and um, spent a couple days there. Yeah, pretty
3: casual. You just had lunch with
2: Jacques. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, yeah he and Gloria are both there and uh, had us there as, as their guest. And uh, it was you know, very special and very cool. I've got some some cool pictures from that of us of, of Jacques and jb and i with hanging spoons on our nose and, <laughs> um uh, so that was yeah that was an incredible trip and then uh we went uh, to the broadmoor with him once as well where, where oh. he's where he's you know very yes well known and respected and they've yes. got the couple china cabinets there in the lobby with all his artifacts and memorabilia yeah. that he Sent him over the years, exactly, exactly. Returned
3: to them, yeah. Which is a you know well, another thing. It's that another art that he another, had. Oh, absolutely. He did it with he did it with the
2: Waldorf Astoria. He did it with uh, yes. Antoine's in New Orleans. He would collect yes. these places, their own artifacts, and get them back to to them, and uh, you know manage to sort of. Yes. Get them in his in his pockets. Small so industry. Yes. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> uh, which again was just an example of his taking something that he loved and right. and finding a way to sort of parlay that into right. uh, yeah,
3: you know, a some perks. <laughs> yeah. or, or living. Uh, Whatever you need. So we got
2: to go sort of partake of the uh, Broadmoor with him on, on on sort of that type of trip. The man could hustle, Kurt Fleischwasser said. The greatest gift he ever got
3: from John was a chance.
1: John made my. Best culinary moment ever, and he recommended me to go to the Beard House. And uh, when we went, he invited uh, Jacques Pepin, which Jacques had actually cooked at the Coach House a couple times with me and everything else. And uh, a very big highlight for me was when uh, Jacques came back in the kitchen and walked me around the Beard House to all the tables and said, "This is an up-and-coming chef." John says this guy's approved. He's approved. This is gonna be a. You're a, a made good guy. man. <laughs> I was a made
6: man. <laughs> you, 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 you got made at that time. I got made at that
1: time. Or Something so, right. So the induction cool. for that in New York City, cooking in New York City, and having Jacques come back in the kitchen and take him around, and and, and that was that. John made that happen. That's right. So that, that's right. Uh, he, he, he wanted I, Oklahoma I on the, on the national
5: stage. Michel Boutillon described some of the gifts he received over the years. You know, I have some great stuff he, he like to give me. You know, stuff he collect from other year. Uh-huh. I have the uh, little pyramid from the restaurant, the pyramid in Vienne I have a saber. He write our name on a yeah, saber. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he have. I mean, every year he, we have something. Well, you just cargo go la baguette. You know, you mm-hmm, mm-hmm. a painting. Mm-hmm. I used to hang a painting at Bellini, and I mean, he always give us something, and he does that with everybody. Oh, yeah. I th- we were about the Drake. I know when they opened, you remember
3: they had the mismatched uh, uh, flatware? Oh, I know. he. Oh, he's had all that mismatched flatware. He, he got a hold of Keith, and Keith came over, and they went through it all. And they, I think he donated a, a pretty good chunk of stuff. <music> J.B. acumen for gift-giving was so profound, he didn't always know when he was giving them. Here's a story from Chris Lauer, owner of the Metro Wine Bar and Bistro, Big Truck Tacos, Backdoor Barbecue, and Pizzeria Gusto talking about how a chance summer job at the Grand Boulevard restaurant changed his life.
8: Well, I sort of accidentally got into the restaurant business in college. Um, A friend of mine who I'd gone to high school with was working at a, a... local restaurant that had just opened. Uh, her mother was a friend of the chef, and the chef is somebody we all know, <laughs> John Bennett. Um, and her boyfriend was had called her the night before, my friend, um, and uh, said he was coming into town from Boston where she went to school. Uh, And so she was panicked. She was going to work every day at the restaurant and thought, oh, no, I'm not going to be able to spend any time with my boyfriend. He's Mm -hmm. coming all the way from Boston to see me. So she and I had been in the same French cooking class at at Cassidy. um, And uh, I guess because she knew I had that little sliver of background (laughs) in in cooking – Uh, I was the first person she thought of to call and ask if I would be willing to come and do her job at the restaurant the next day. (laughs) Uh, And it was just a crazy enough request that I said, sure, why not? If you think you can show me what to do, if you don't think I'm going to get you fired, (laughs) um, then yeah. So I showed up at 8 o'clock the next morning. She was like the first one into the restaurant every day. Uh, She turned on the lights and turned on the hoods and turned on the ovens and started doing prep. Uh, And she she showed me through some of the prep and, um, you know, then the rest of the crew starts arriving and I meet this band of pirates, (laughs) merry men. uh, And, you know, they don't know what's going on, but uh, they – and I'm probably the butt of jokes. uh, (laughs) But I'm in there trying to do her job. And um, after a few days, you know, I I really started liking – Everything about it, the pace, the variety, the personalities in the kitchen, the personalities from the front staff. Uh, and then once I got to witness service and see what went on out in the dining room, it was it was close to magical. Yeah. Uh, so I did that for a few days for her. She actually went back to college earlier than I did. So for those – for like two weeks after she left, I went back in and mm-hmm. – and did that same job, wow. uh, and then was invited back the next summer uh, to to work in the kitchen. And
3: now we're talking about the Grand Boulevard Grand
8: restaurant? Boulevard restaurant, that's
3: right. and it, John Bennett was the chef there at that time, right? Yes, indeed. Okay, and,
8: and I think it was arguably the best restaurant in the Oklahoma City area at the time.
3: Oh yeah, very hot.
8: As had been his previous restaurant, yeah. the Cellar, that's in its day. That's
0: so. right.
3: JB's generosity was bounded only by what he had to give. The only price was friendship. I have a gorgeous wooden tortilla press that became priceless to me on July 22nd. But the greatest gift he gave me was acceptance. And that led to access to stories and people from around the local hospitality industry. And of course, endless cooking instruction. And some of it was sought. Seriously, the hours we spent talking about food and the people he respected behind it could probably be measured in months. Besides Jim Beard, as he liked to call him, and Julia, Jock Pepin, J.B.U.'s friends with John George von Vonderrichton, and Stephen Piles, and Dory Greenspan, people that he could get on phone in the blink of an eye. Let's close this out with a message David Egan of Cattleman's received from Dory Greenspan.
5: Dory's a very somewhat famous cookbook author from New York City that, of and course— John befriended and invited Oklahoma City to do a book release Mm -hmm. a few years ago, and she came with her husband and had a marvelous time. She just said, Dear David, your message brought the the news, and I can't quite take it in. John was headed to New York City this week, planning where he's eating and what he'll do (laughs) with the kind of enthusiasm that is his alone. Thank you for telling me. I am so sad for all for all who loved him and there are so many of us and yeah. particularly sad for you and all his wonderful friends he loved you all so much love dory kiss is dory love you david. well said dory and well said david
3: there will be a memorial for john bennett on august 19th we're choosing between a couple of venues right now we have a grand evening planned to celebrate his life until then let's raise a glass to chef john bennett oklahoma's forever chef